You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty. Great show lined up. Mine is Vince because he couldn't make it tonight, but there will be a feature at the end from him. Before we get started on the games, though, however, that we were planning on discussing tonight, Joe, I couldn't help but notice how fucking excited you were yesterday for Lego villains, DC villains. But I'm not sure if it was because the game was justifiably that awesome or your pain meds were kicking in because <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> uh, it was definitely not the pain meds. So... When I loaded up the game, it was it was one of those things where it had they have their own opening now for the DC side of things that is much better translated into the video game world than the Marvel opening for the most part, which I think is really interesting. And I'm sitting here and I'm hearing the song and I'm one of those people that like I'm terrible with lyrics. I can't remember lyrics to save my fucking life, but I remember riffs. I remember rhythm. I remember melody and I can hear the song playing. I'm like, wait, wait holy shit, this is a game where the Joker is one of the main characters that you interact with, and the opening credits is fucking Joker and the Thief by Wolfmother. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, that is fucking amazing. <laughs> oh, that's rad. It was, it was perfect, like, and I actually, like, punched my fist in the air and hurt my back more, but it was worth it. Um, but the, it's one of those things where, like, as I started playing through, like, the first, like, hour of the game... I'm realizing that they didn't pull out any stops. They got all of the animated series voice actors, all of them. They got all of the original voice actors that have made themselves, you know, or, or actors period that have made themselves famous in various DC roles. Like fucking Barrowman's in this. Barrowman is Merlin. Like he's here. He's his character. And it is from, from fucking Arrow. And it's great. And it's the presentation is fantastic on top of it being the Lego comedy uh, you have Tara Strong doing her best uh, animated series, Harley, so it's not super over the top, and it fits perfectly. It's it's just great. Like, everything about the game so far is fantastic. And then, of course, you got our girl Sissy, who is Lois Lane, because, of course, she is. I'm actually just, really curious to hear that, and not just because it's Sissy and we like her, clearly, but I'm actually very curious to see how it's going to work with the character. I'm going to assume it'll work well. Again, she's a great voice actress, great actress, so I'm sure she'll make it work. But Lois is one of those, very much like the others, like you said, where those voices are very iconic. It's not just about how they look, but for many of us, because... Because the live action shows have been a shit show for so fucking long, and so mm -hmm. many of them, many of us that were that are fans of the characters latched onto the Justice League cartoon, not just because it was spectacularly good, but also because it gave us those characters that we care about. And so, for a lot of us, those are the voices. So, and it's really, I find myself at least, and I say this having watched a lot of the animated ones that don't have those characters, as well as uh, the game as well, the DC Universe Online, I find it's actually fairly jarring 
And so I'm really curious how it's going to work in this game. I, I'm actually planning on picking it up based on what you were saying. It, it's worth it. It's worth every single penny. And I don't say that often about games. And don't get me wrong, I love the Lego games. And I've enjoyed the Marvel ones to to varying degrees. But, like, Lego Marvel Heroes 2 wasn't as good as it could have been. The humor was weird and off. Like, I didn't find myself really wanting to play the game as much. This one, it, I don't know, because it, it's not the characters, but the, it's the writing, the humor, the mannerisms. See, that's and what it is more I so, know. I think. More so than DC versus Marvel. Although part of it could be their, who they choose to do the writing and directing based on which sure. platform it is. or uh, Not platform, but you know what I mean. But I find that it's it's really hit or miss with the game, same as with the animated shows as well. I mean, I can watch Lego Batman over and over and over. I quite literally watched it again last week. I adore that show. But try watching... Shit. Was it Lego Batman 2 or was it... There was another one that came out not long after. Completely different directors, either before or after. Anyways, and it was almost like I we didn't finish. But you recognize almost immediately that it's because it's for a much younger audience. And so I've found the same is true with the game sometimes. Yeah, and I, like, I agree with you. Like, it's it's not... It doesn't necessarily break down to just Marvel versus DC or anything like that. But here, like as soon as you load up the game, if you're a fan of of just the general concept of comics, even like they hit this out of the park, like it just it grabs you right away. It the, everything fits like even the one of the things and this is not really a spoiler, but like when you get to control the Joker in the tutorial section, you go and hire henchmen to go do shit for you to make it through the level and that's like one of his abilities and it's see it's that's actually one of the things that i'm great. really looking forward to actually i'm looking forward it's to cool. their different take on playing as villains because well, what other lego game have we played as villains we haven't and that's and not only that but you're creating your own yeah no no i know but you're working with the existing um, smorgasbord of DC villains is what I mean. So I'm really curious, again, how that affects both gameplay and the story because it's it's if it's done well, it should not feel like a traditional Lego superhero game at all because there'd be a lot of differences. It That's awesome. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's really well done. And like I said, at, for the price that they're asking for it, it's $40 us us dollars right now that's cheap i know lego games tend to come in a little bit cheaper but like fucking marvel lego heroes was 60 bucks yeah but they like have to pay for the voice actors game. too that's the thing yeah like when you're so looking does, at these so does, i was just gonna say so does dc and they this game came in at a cheaper price point than the marvel ones and okay, to my, to, to, as far as i'm concerned the dc ones got the better caliber voice actors on board just, just well, yeah the licensing might be, might be cheaper too for all we know, probably knows. Yeah. Regardless, but, we well, actually will definitely be talking about it more because I am picking it up as well, and I'm I'm looking forward to playing it. Are you playing it on the Switch or on PC? PC for ease of streaming when right. I uh, yeah. decide to stream. Cool, cool. All right. Are you you're going to be doing that this Friday? Well, this Friday we currently have a vote up, and that is one of the options. But so far, Spider Man uh, PS4 New Game Plus is winning winning okay. the vote. All right. 
Uh, tell the folks what I'm talking about. What's that? Tell the folks what I'm talking about. The stream. <laughs> All right. So every every Friday, I take over as one a member of a stream team for a local uh, gaming group called the Good Job Channel. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Good Job Channel, just as it sounds. Uh, what we do is year-round, me and the guys locally, uh, we stream to earn money to basically take all of our subs and our bits and everything we earn from it to feed it back into Extra Life year-round. We decided that like a one once-a-year event, 24-hour gaming, wasn't nearly enough. And so we each have a different day of the week, and mine's Friday nights because I'm old and I don't go out and drink anymore, so I might as well play video games and make money for charity. So what I do is every Tuesday, Wednesday-ish, I throw up a poll on my Twitter, which is at LoaderZJ, and I ask you guys to vote on what game I should play out of a few options so that there's some audience participation. Uh, and try to get you guys to come in and hang out and, and keep me company, because otherwise I'm just talking to myself and it makes me look like a fool. It's a uh, but it's a good charity. time. It's a very good charity, and that's why I don't mind plugging it either. It's for a very, very good cause. And it is fun watching you play, especially I loved watching you play the South Park game. That was a lot of fun. But if oh, you guys want to see him playing the Lego DC villains, head over to his Twitter and vote. I Actually, that's my vote. I, I haven't voted yet, but I will. I would love to see you playing that sucker. All right, let's move on from there. And actually, Joe, you're going to take over here because we're going to do some talking about Skylink, which... We've Starlink. talked about in the past, and again, it was one of those games where we were all pretty excited. I know uh, I am a massive fan of that. Like, again, I watched the video you posted, and they were bitching about No Man's Sky, and I'm going, I fucking love No Man's Sky. So I would adore Skylink, but again, it's a stupid toy game. And I know well, you're going to discuss the digital, but I got something to say about that, too. <laughs> but go ahead. Sure. Uh, first of all, it's Starlink, not Skylink. Um, right. Battle for Atlas. Oh, fuck, you're right. Sorry about that. I, I That's actually quite all right. Downlink. So uh, one of the things that was originally a put-off for me was the the toys for it, because don't get me wrong, I am definitely a collector. I like collecting things. I'm sitting here looking at uh, literally shelves full of Transformers that do nothing but make me feel good by looking at them. They don't actually do anything. But here, the idea is that you have various ships, weapons, pilots, that you can swap out and by swapping the physical item out on the controller it swaps the item in game for you it's an interesting concept and i was definitely intrigued by it until i saw the price point now the prices i'm about to read off are prices in united states dollars so the base physical game with a ship and a pilot and a weapons pack so this is the game and all that stuff is 75 us dollars that's a bit expensive for me at least at first each additional pilot of which I believe there are three other pilots that you can possibly get from the starter pack. Um, uh, three, if you're switched two if your others are $9 each, the weapons packs are $10 each. And I believe there's five weapons packs, possibly six. And, and each ship is $25. Now there are how many ships, three ships, three ships, three ships, four. If you have the switch now, the interesting thing here is the Switch actually gets the most complete game because they have Star Fox, an entire extra set of chapters and stories revolving around Star Fox and the R-Wing and his crew integrated into the Battle for Atlas and that story and essentially turns this into what I suspected was originally supposed to be a Star Fox game 
that Ubisoft kind of blew up into something more than that. And Nintendo said, yes, let's go fucking do it. Just make sure we have exclusive content. That said, people love the game. It plays really, really well. Uh, it's getting rave reviews as far as the quality of the gameplay, the type of story. Uh, everybody's saying it, like, especially if you're picking it up on the Switch, that it is probably the best way to play the game. Looks great in tabletop mode. Looks great in dock mode. Um, but again, people are very conflicted about the toys. Now, the interesting thing to me here is that for a cheaper price point than actually buying the physical game, which is incomplete, mind you, it does not have all the ships, does not have all the weapons, does not have all of the pilots. For $60, I can buy a digital version that has it all. Because one of the things that Ubisoft is, I believe, deliberately making a point not to advertise is that this game can be played completely without the toys. They are not necessary to play the game. If you buy the digital version, you literally get everything at a cheaper price point, and the game has an inventory swapping system inside of it, just like you would normally expect, where you can adjust everything from the ship, your loadout, and your, your pilots. That blew my fucking mind when I found that out, because I was looking at it on the fucking Switch eShop, and then I saw a bunch of people that I, I consumed their, their content confirming this. Like... That's a little underhanded by Ubisoft, man. Like, just fucking put it out there. People will buy what they'll buy. And it, I hate it because it sounds like it's a fantastic game, but why would I buy the toys now? And not only that, the toys are fucking massive. Like, the R-Wing itself is bigger than the Joy-Con controller grip with the Joy-Cons in it and the hands of a person, an average-sized adult. It hangs over that. Now, they are very lightweight, and from what I understand is most people don't really pay attention to it after a little bit of playing with them, but holy fuck, that's massive. Massive. See, I'm looking at the digital. I'm literally in the store right now. Now, granted, my prices are the Canadian prices, obviously, and sure. the currency exchange is so fucking far out of whack right now, it's unbelievable, but it's it's not inexpensive. There's two versions for $80. I'm looking to see what all is in there, but there's another one, the deluxe one, which presumably has more, is 106 bucks. And again, yeah, which is $80 US. That is batshit crazy to pay for a single game. It just is. Like when you're looking at a third of a price of a new console, that's just plain wrong. And then the the digital the the Starship packs uh, you're looking at uh, 20 bucks Canadian to, mm -hmm. for each. Like, it still is not inexpensive. And I'm... I'm not in, I'm not enjoying the path that companies or, or dev studios are still going with DLC content where you have some that are doing phenomenal things like what appears to be the first DLC for Spider-Man that you got to play some of and that will be coming in, in future episodes. But then you also have, like you were talking about the Devil May Cry, where one of the DLCs is like to get live action cutscenes. and Yeah, this, with actors, with actual actors. Yeah, like when you start dissecting a game to that degree, well, and that's what this is too. Well, hold on a second. And that's the thing too, when you're looking at these digital things where it's like, I know it, it sounds like the old man screaming at clouds, but it's like, it feels like that meme of the, the hamburger, 
that you got in the 80s as a full hamburger and now it's you can pay extra for every element of the burger kind of thing that comes as DLC making that that analogy and when you're seeing shit like this to me at least that's how it feels and I abhor it I don't disagree with you. The only one I was going to defend is the Devil May Cry one because the DLCs for the new Devil May Cry game are just random shit that don't matter. And it's just extra wacky shit. Like the game itself is complete. It they're, they're, The stuff that you're getting are like cosmetic things or in the case of the live action thing, it's because literally it was somebody made a joke about wouldn't it be hilarious if they actually hired actors to do like a live action anime version of this. And Capcom went, okay. Like that I'm fine with because it doesn't change the game experience. Okay. But that's not the impression with... I got. Sorry. No, no, you, it doesn't. It doesn't like take the cutscenes out. The cutscenes are fully rendered in the game with the characters. Normally, okay. this is just, yeah. if you get this DLC pack, you get live actors acting over the top as if they were Dante and Virgil and everything else. So that's fine. The other stuff. Absolutely agree. When you are carving up your core game experience into DLC to squeeze more money, or the dreaded thing that I, I hate saying now, if you're pushing your games as service bullshit, then I have a problem. If I'm and I understand that games haven't increased in price over the decades. Uh, people love to point that out to me. I don't care. If you're going to charge more for a game up front, charge more for a game up front. I will gladly pay you my money for a complete game. Uh, basically, it's an exchange, right? I will give you my money. You give me the product I expect. And in the case of, like, Spider-Man, I got a complete fucking game. Now, the season pass for it was only 25 bucks. That's not that's not expensive at all in terms of some season passes, like <clears throat> Bethesda, 50 bucks. And you're getting quality story content because the studio wants to keep going with the story, and they have plans for the game that this is sort of, and the universe they're creating, that are going along with it. But it didn't take anything out of the base game. I got a complete experience. So I agree with you, and I'll yell at those clouds right there with you. I'll get my cane, I'll, I'll hobble over right next to you, and I'll yell at those clouds. As long as the stuff you you want to you want to offer me like cosmetic bullshit that doesn't matter. Like you want me to change like Dante's fucking gun into like the Mega Buster? Okay, here's three dollars. That's fine. I don't mind that. But if you're telling me that he can't fire his gun because he runs out of ammo and you have to, I have to pay three dollars every time he reloads a clip, we gonna have a fight. But see, for me, the 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 addendum to that is how it pertains to these Skylander type games kind of thing because the argument that they have hold on a second that was a massive belch okay so the argument <laughs> <laughs> the audience got to hear because this mic's always recording but you guys did not anyways uh, cue it up it'll be at about a 20 minute mark 19 minute mark if you want to yeah. listen <laughs> the um the argument, fuck, now I'm derailed. The argument that I have, okay, as it I pertains to these Skylander-type games, is that the studios are saying, well, if we put the, the digital stuff to cheap, why would people buy the toys? And that's the question they should be asking themselves before they even start developing the game. Why would people buy this? Should people be want to buy this regardless of the impact it has in the game and if not 
maybe you should change it. Maybe you should rethink how you're doing it. So I'm not a, a proponent of that argument of charging a lot more for the digital just so that people have more incentive to buy the actual physical things because not everybody's going to want those toys all over the place. Oh, and I certainly is. I, I sure, sure, fuck, do not want to play with a ship on my controller while I'm playing. That I do not what? want that. And in this case, the Starlink, the digital is cheaper than buying the physical, and you get the collection cheaper digitally than if you would buy the physical ones. No, yes, but, but it's still a lot more. It's you're still paying a lot for those digital little things, which should be in the fucking game, especially for some things that are supposed to work. Damn near require some some things. Skylanders really was the first one to fuck this up for everybody. And, and I know we go on this every now and then, but Skylanders was one of those games where you physically could see the next place you wanted to go, but you could not access it unless you went and bought a toy. And that was it. Like, that was the end of it. And that was the start of this downfall. And if these companies, if any of you are listening, which, you know, if you're listening to our little podcast, God bless you, but make something cool and I will throw money at a collection for that cool thing. Like case in point, I love the Fallout series. When I bought Fallout 4, I have a fucking Pip Boy. I don't and I use hate it you for it. I still fucking hate you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I never forgave you, you for getting one out. of those. Ah, oh, god damn, I love that thing. There's a new one coming out. It's a kit, it's a model kit you actually built. Yeah, I might do that because man, but. But the, that's the type of thing, like, the game was was complete. The add-ons that came on and the DLCs that came after it, like, I don't own any of them because they're not necessary. The game was fine, and I had fun with it, but I bought extra shit. I have a fucking bobblehead. I have a fucking Fallout bag. I have Fallout shirts because I like what they did with the game. I have a ton of Amiibo, not because they're game-breaking, but because, one, I love, I love figures, and two... I fucking love like the champions and shit like that from Breath of the Wild. I think they're fucking hilarious. And they didn't gate anything behind those in the game. I still got my complete game and it was fine. Give me a complete game, make it fun, and then throw out toys out there after and I will fucking buy it. That's what most adults will do. We like buying things to make ourselves feel good. Don't force us into a position where we have to buy those things. Otherwise, we tend to revolt. And it's funny so, you should say know. that because, especially the again, we are now the 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 gaming population has a lot of adults with disposable income now because we grew up with games and now we have some money. Mm -hmm. And when you look at, especially be, the, I'm thinking about the the Switch version because of Star Fox, there are a lot of Star Fox fans with a lot of disposable income. Oh, yeah. You could have done this better to appeal to them to make up, to get the money that you needed and cut down instead on the other shit so that it's not prohibitive, prohibitive for people who just want to play the game kind of thing. And... Like there, there's opportunities that that are that were missed here, where they could have, I feel, still created a solid game that's worth playing, even if you don't own the flying bullshit. But it appears now that the regular game, unless you're spending, what I consider to be too much, 
for just cosmetic changes to ships and shit like that. It's not like you're getting a, a, a full DLC. Like case in point, let's once again let's go back to fucking Spider-Man because yes, they did it that well. If you're looking at the Black Hat DLC that just came out, which again, we're not going to get into spoilers or anything, but we were talking about it pre-show. Joe said you are about halfway in and about four hours in. Now, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how much time is spent or if other people can rip through it or whatever. That's just an example of somebody who appreciated the original game, taking their time, enjoying it, whatever. It's and You're looking at something that is worth saying, you know what, I'll give you fucking $10. 10 bucks to be able to play for eight hours in this game that I adored is cheaper than me going to the theater for a couple of hours. I'm good with that. But if you're telling me I'm going to have to pay 20 bucks for a reskin of a ship that just has a couple of different abilities, maybe different stats, maybe fuck you. No, that I, I will well, not support that. And while I don't support it, I will. I, I, I feel it would be a disservice if I didn't state this outright. The digital bundle, the, the base digital version of Starlink for the Nintendo Switch does come with all five starships, all seven pilots, and all 12 weapons at the $60 price point, which is a standard game. So it is, you do get everything at a cheaper bundle than if you were to buy the starter pack at $75 and then buy the individual ships and everything else. So I they did, it, my problem is that they're not advertising that. And that's that's my big issue with it is because while that is an option and it is a cheaper option with still a premium price for the game at $60, it's at least $60 and feels more complete than spending $75 and then having to spend another $75 on ships and then another $100 on weapons and another $26 on pilots, right? Like, it's but starting not- to sound like fucking, <laughs> what's that, uh, the yeah, uh, the one that's still fucking in uh, in crowdsourcing. Oh shit, I can't remember. Star uh, Star Citizen <laughs> starting yeah. to sound like that. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, but I mean, but they're not advertising that you can buy the digital version and get a complete version of the game digitally at a cheaper price point. They're not advertising that at all. None of their advertisements say that. And I haven't even looked at the Microsoft Store or the PlayStation Store. I don't know if this is an option that's available for them. This might be a Nintendo exclusive deal, which is interesting and possibly dumb. So I get where you're coming from and I understand it and I agree with it. It's just, it blows my fucking mind. It See, really does. As I'm looking at this again, Canadian prices, the um, 80 bucks, which is a full fledged three, triple a game right now you're looking at it says five starships seven pilots and 12 weapons now if that is enough to actually finish the game it is we're fine but from what i understand from different reviews and things too you are damn near forced into some purchases still after no if you buy the physical version of the game yes and i can tell you because there is a specific weapon that is necessary at one point that is in the digital pack here that is not included in the physical starter pack. Okay. So on the Xbox store, uh, Starlink battle for Atlas, you get the Levi pilot pack, razor pilot pack, uh, Neptune starship pack, crusher shredder and Mark two 
Iron Fist. Iron Fist. Way to go, Danny Rand. You're in space. Freeze Ray, Lance, <laughs> and Shockwave and Gauskin, um, all for $60 digital. And it's missing, it's missing the crusher, which is the big one. So that crusher, so, oh, crusher, the crusher shredder. No, crush. I uh, don't know if it's called shredder. No, crusher and shredder are two separate things because this is the crusher shredder. The, maybe it's missing a comma. Maybe. Okay, then it might looks like then you might have the same exact digital pack. Then that that's again, but it's not advertised anywhere or pushed anywhere that you can do that, right? Exactly. That's bullshit. It, it is the pushing. Crusher. Okay, so it's pushing real hard for people to buy the physical pack. And then when they get the physical pack home after spending $75 US, realizing that it's not complete. That's bullshit. All right. Now that we have exhausted that, <laughs> do you actually want to, to talk about what is in the game or were you not really planning on doing that? <laughs> I absolutely can. Uh, it is a space combat adventure game with RPG elements that tells, a, like, I have not played it myself and I haven't watched a whole lot of playthroughs yet. Um, but it, the best way that the best description I can give it is sounds almost hyperbolic, but from what I've seen, I concur with the reviewers that say, if you've ever played a Star Fox game, this is basically it. It is the same. Even if Star Fox, if you have a switch, if you have a switch, even, even without Star Fox in this game, it's the same story principle. Okay. It's the same idea. And it's that same type of core gameplay. So it's that space adventure game that we've been waiting for that Star Fox was sort of like the epitome of, but produced here. And it's with the various ships that it's a very sprawling universe. Um, it, it definitely is very pretty as well. The space combat, is, from what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing from people who are actually playing the game, it is very tight, it is very fun, and it is very rewarding when you get done with a dogfight or a boss encounter and you are victorious. It feels like you've accomplished something. So it, the quality is there. It, it it's there, but I don't know what else to really really make of it. Well, it, I mean, it's Ubisoft. It will go on sale fairly fast. Um, Probably th they do that on, especially on Switch. You get some insane sales, and I'm not joking. I fucking want to play this game. It is, if it is as good as what everybody is saying and I can get it for what I consider to be a reasonable price, then fine. I like I my objections to buying games at full price for the what I consider to be a value for the dollar. I then am not so stubborn that I can't apply that to when there's a sale at that point you have to reevaluate okay for this amount do you feel it's worth your money and in the case of this if the sale is good enough yeah fuck I will pick it up of course I will I'm dying to play this goddamn game but without the fucking toys I do mm. not want the toys and like you too I've got toys all over the library here like I, I love the, the my grandkids are already buying me pop vinyl pops <laughs> like they already know so oh, like I I like this and because I like uh sci-fi the sci-fi genre so much like I've got a Normandy figure and that I ordered that's fucking gorgeous and I love it so this is kind of up my alley but when it feels like it's being forced down your throat mm -hmm. almost immediately it changes how you look at it and you don't want to look on your shelf at something that's there that you resent. 
So, and it, it boils down to something as simple as that. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. All right, let's move on from there. Marty, you wanted to talk about Greedfall, and I don't know if it's that you just got wind of this game or if they announced something new. I remember them talking about this. Was that like at E3 or was that at PAX? Do you recall? I think it was a PAX, actually. Because yeah, I remember yeah. when they was first announced, fuck, we were all on board too, Marty. Yeah, I I, I uh, remember listening to that episode, and, and I looked through uh, the Discord notes and didn't want to step on anybody's toes. There's been a couple of trailers that have been um, released since. I think uh, the there is a new a new trailer. Um, so for those who don't know, Greedfall is a Age of Colonization era game, uh, RPG, uh, released by Spider, which will be released by Spider Software coming for PC, Xbox, and PS4 in 2019. Uh, fully customizable, lots and lots and lots of options for uh, slots for hand weapons, uh, muskets, pistols. There is magic involved. Uh, what got me was this idea. There's two things that got me. One, uh, I saw a couple of streamers who have released copies or beta copies, and they were talking about how how cool cool this is and how there are no collection quests. And that alone, that gives that an edge because uh, I don't know about you guys, I am sick to fucking death of go get me 10 of these things. It's in every single goddamn game I play other than Stellaris and there is no collection quest in Stellaris. It's point click, go kill the space fungus over here. So it's interesting on that level where I am all of a sudden on edge. Um, and I'm like, I don't know about this game. Uh, I don't know much about spider software. I know they put together a couple of games that um, I technomancer, which has been, uh, reviewed as so bad it's good um <laughs> so it's got that going for it but what i that's actually one of the uh microsoft access game passes isn't it isn't it yes and uh i have not downloaded it because uh so I did far, actually. I think I did. did. If I didn't i was planning on playing it. Fuck that shit. I'm going to try it. I I need to see. Yeah, let me know. Uh, cuz <laughs> i actually downloaded um wasteland 2 but i'll talk about that later oh um, wasteland yes i it's it's a game that i need to play on on a computer it's not oh yeah for me I, that was my mistake it's fallout yeah oh well i mean the two are like kissing cousins um but greedfall is uh the story of basically europeans going to a new world to uh cure a disease and to conquer this new world and that's where I'm like, well, hold up. How are you going to handle this, this colonization thing? And then I was reading about the, there are multiple factions and blah, blah, blah. And you're a part of the neutral merchants guild. So uh, I have two, I was a double major in college, history and psychology. The merchants guilds, <laughs> like the Dutch East India company, those are some of the most vicious evil, horrible people in the era that we're talking about with Greedfall. And so hopefully, like, the name of the game is Greedfall. Yeah, but are, hold on, yeah. back up now. But are they being presented as such? Or are they being presented as the heroes of the story? 
they're being presented so far it looks like as as heroic i mean there's okay. there's a couple things that are not released yet so the game isn't out i have like what has me on i'm like i, I that type of that type of pause where i'm like trying to verbalize something uh <laughs> is that how do they handle this kind of a hot button issue because uh, i firmly believe games should handle this if it's not touched at all that's where it falls flat for me like um there was a game that came out or last year uh it was supposed to be a uh, a mass effect game but it was really not a mass effect game it was just something put together by bioware um to tease us and hurt all of our feelings they kind of sort of touched on the colonialism more tongue-in-cheek than anything else which okay you at least did something with it you could have done more and maybe they did do more but i just stopped playing uh i have a i don't know i am very much hesitant about how these games are portraying it i want to see it i don't give anybody the benefit of the doubt unless they've got they've earned it and i don't know anything by spider software um have you guys ever played a spider game and how do you feel about topics like this being addressed in a magical sort of setting isn't that how it's always been addressed throughout the the annals of time uh say more about that so this is a debate I have with a lot of people about a lot of things. And it always comes back to there's two camps of people, the people that are don't understand that media is inherently political uh, and is inherently a reflection of the world in which it is created uh, for good or ill. It is a reflection of that. And then you have the people that actually get that uh, and then understand that that's always been the way it is movies, books, and especially video games even at their earliest inception have always sort of had these, these topics, these pillars uh, of social commentary built into them. Right. May I make That's one right. comment quickly before you go on? Yeah. It's a reflection of what the creators want you to see as what is going on right now. It's not a reflection, a true reflection because it is created. The creators are telling sure. you this is how it is. And because that's subject, subjective based on whoever is the creator, that can change. So you need to look at, say as an example, when you're talking about uh, uh, films or whatever, you can look at a period of time to see the majority of the films were like this because this was going on. Case in point, when there are, uh, a war going on, you're getting a lot more comedies and things like that. And so you can see a reflection of society, certainly, but more so, again, you have to make sure that you understand it's filtered through the lens of the creator. Oh, yeah. And, and, and that, oh, is, yeah. that is definitely true. Absolutely agreed. Uh, but it's just, it's something that I, I don't feel that these topics, you know, I don't feel a specific way, you know, about them being represented here. It's just for me, that's to be expected. That's what I would, it, it, whatever lens they're colored through, I would expect there to be some form of representation, some form of effect, some form of uh, signifier of the times contained inside the media. Right. That, that's, that's basically all I was going to say. Yeah, that's fair. And I, and I, I get what you're saying. I, and, and I agree with both of you um, that, it is, that it is a interpretation, not just of the time, but also of the creator's idea of said time and of our time as well. 
Um, I would also, I would just add like, there's a, a smaller third category of people who deny that they have politics and think that they are denying it uh, justly. Uh, you know, some of the people that we talked about earlier off tape, like, I don't know, guys that turn Captain America into a Nazi who say that's not a political <laughs> statement. had to bring it up. <laughs> I had to. Um, I, I 100% agree with his rage on this one. So go for it. Fucking Marty, go for it. So it's, it's just, you can't say that this is not a political thing or that it's just a game. You're putting out a piece of art a piece of even a piece of science at some level that is saying whoa whoa we whoa think no 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 whoa good. a piece of science no no a piece of it's, science it's art Hold no on. it's a game it's art wanna, it's not a piece I of science i want to hear where he's i, I do too but him. i'm just making it clear from the fucking Let's, get-go he's talking out of his ass no because i don't i i first of all games are science our uh, games are 100 art pure and simple but to ignore the science that goes on behind it that generates it, that puts things together, that makes like, you know, the 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 chips that we're using today and the amount of data science that even goes no. into these games no. to make machine learning and to make the AI possible. No, there's science no. in these games. No, that no, no. That's like saying there's yes. science behind the quill and the ink. No, no you know there's what? no yeah, there is. science behind second. It's art. It is about the Yeah. I'm going to agree with Marty here. That's all well and good. That doesn't mean I fucking have to. I'm I wasn't done talking, but I guess we're moving on. <laughs> no, I yep. was just gonna say I wanted to mark this before we move too far because this never fucking happens ever. Exactly. That's but, been the show. It's been a good one, guys. I'm out. I'm never coming back. I'm ending on a high note. <laughs> but I, I get what he's saying, and I get what you're saying. Um, it to me, it's they're literally two sides of the same coin. And, and but that like, doesn't make sense because then at that point you are breaking down games and you're saying now that you're you're making a distinction that this is a such a different kind of creative process than say a book where we have to take into consideration not just the vision and the story being told the science behind the manner in which it's told, meaning you're looking, meaning that the manner in which it's being told to you, game versus novel, ones and zeros versus paper and ink has an impact on the story being told. It doesn't. It's just the medium by which the story's told. No, it, it does. Try reading a novel in Comic Sans. Well, hold, no, no, hold, hold on a second, hold on a second. <laughs> The point that I will, I will, I will say, I understand what you're saying, but you look at, look at artificial intelligence and games that are, are created with the idea of dynamic storytelling in mind, where machine learning, like Marty was saying, uh, AI in processes change the story based off of your input and evolve. We've talked about this many, many times on the show. That's, that's a core tenet of something we enjoy on the show, but that is a science. That is something, and, and this is something that I've spent a long time talking with my my one of my best friends who is an AI engineer. This is what he does for video games, and he's been doing for years. Um, it's it's one of those things where video games can take that into account into the story. They don't always, and it's not always married and like properly. Um, but I would say that you are technically both correct here. Because there are some instances where that that AI, that machine, that science will affect the storytelling because it will present a different story based off the inputs of the person. And then you have the ones where, 
you know, even if it's a choose your own adventure where it's not really learning, but it's presented and laid out in a very specific way and it becomes more a piece of art uh, that sort of uses the science to sort of, you know, get to where it is, but it's not married with it in the same way. So you, to me, you are both right here, and which is interesting. I think I need to like call it a, a career now. Yeah. <laughs> Greedfall does have a nodal based story system, which is it tracks decisions that you make. Uh, and it is built around the development of your character and the choices that you have made. I feel like uh, Greedfall is promising way too much. And I do not know how it's going to deliver. Um, because so many games in the past have offered the same thing and they just do not stick the landing. And that <laughs> yeah, is you. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah. I, hey. So it, this technology powering these games, um, I think can lead to some pretty amazing art and story and some pretty powerful and impactful storytelling. I am very wary of basically white European guys uh, telling a story of, of colonization um, if they don't have the self-awareness to like see like how things play out. Um, I am reminded but, of the movie Brotherhood of the Wolf, which was oh, god wow. awful. Um, that's, that is what Greedfall is like. That's what I worried Greedfall was going to turn into. Which see, was I, I worry more movie. that it's not because of an ignorance of of the history, but rather of wanting to rewrite that history, which we are literally seeing every fucking day in the news of people trying to rewrite history, no matter how long ago it was. And so that's what worries me more about this because it's all well and good to look at a story being told and think, while I may not agree with the sentiment that's being told or the uh, morality of the narrator say it's a story that's being told and I can enjoy it for that and see for a, a, a brief instant the the how that mind works of a completely different mindset than than I but the problem becomes when you have a story that's being told that's trying to lie about that or about the, the the history and rewrite it in such a way that the villains become heroes. And that's that's where the problem is, because that is how history is fucking rewritten over time. And you have generations that have no clue of what actually did happen. So it's 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 a fine needle to thread when you're thinking about artistic liberty versus trying to rewrite history and that's really hard to tell where they're at yeah and I, i'll agree with that i will yeah no i i i agree with most of it i'm not sure where i disagree but i'm just hedging my bets here all right, let's move on from there, and we're actually going to keep with you, Marty, and we're going to jump into Mutant Year Zero because I really want to make sure we fucking cover that this episode because I've been excited for this game since it was first announced, and everything that we are hearing makes me want to play it more and more. It sounds fucking incredible. 
So what? So Mutant Year Zero is a post-apocalyptic game set sometime after the fall of everything. Uh, worse than it is today, if you can imagine that. Uh, after something called the Red Plague, which I think is mentioned somewhere in one of the vid docs that we watched. But a uh, spoiler. I did a little bit more digging because uh, I saw that this was based on a series of uh, products of pen and paper RPGs that I have either read about or played with or, you know, used college money to buy. So uh, Mutant Year Zero is a it's got it reminds me. Well, they literally say it's like turn based tactical combat from XCOM uh, with a deep powerful storyline that uh, with a metagame that comes from the pen and paper RPG, or excuse me, the story comes from the pen and paper RPG, but it is a fully supported customizable game where you get your mutations and you're looking to find out to help the arc, which is where you come from. It's your home. It's your base. Uh, even though the elder has told everybody to stay away from the zone because that you only, there's only death there. Uh, it is an absolutely stunningly beautiful looking game. Uh, you it's uh, you can watch on the website mutantyearzero.com where you see your squad just walking through and, and sneaking around uh, while they avoid these other mutants and other bad people. And you can like, yeah, there's just a lot of cool things about the game in that you can do a lot of stuff like it's it's you, you there's no there, there's a direction for the game that you they can and an end point but it is a turn a partly turn-based game where you are walking around collecting stuff mutating yourself and looking to find a home or to fix your people to save your people um there was Roger, a, there was a lot ahead. that i i liked in um in the gameplay that we saw as well as the trailers, even we've gotten quite a bit more information since before. And what I really love is that it's not simply a turn turn-based game. It's, it's almost for me, it kind of felt like a, the perfect marriage between uh, Diablo and XCOM where you're yeah. having the free movement and which is really cool because of, when you watch the the gameplay video, it was talking about how they use that time to fill it with, be it story or lore, where the characters are talking while you are moving around. And that's, I, I wish Blizzard did more of that, actually, because when you're wandering around in, in Diablo 3, Yes, there are elements where you'll trigger a, an event or something and then you get the narration, but so much time is wasted that they could have played with in different ways. And it sounds like these guys are doing that kind of thing. And then when you start your combat, you have this fairly sophisticated tactical based uh, combat, which has your grid based pattern as well as your uh, various abilities be it abilities or weapons across your various characters that you've taken into this fight. But what I also liked is how it's not removed from the world that they're in, the environment that they're in. So again, going back to that gameplay video, you had a fight that was taking place close to a guard. And that circle of influence 
was dynamic. It wasn't static that if you get within three squares of guard B, that'll trigger their attack. No, they were there. And depending on how much noise you were making or where you were on the grid as well, that circle was kind of moving. Holy fucking hell was that ever goddamn cool. And adds this, this layer of urgency, of immediacy, of of suddenly being very fucking aware that that grid is not solid. You may go on a spot and think, this is it, I'm safe here, nobody's going to get me. And no, that circle of influence has moved and now you're within that strike zone. Fucking hell, was that ever cool. I adored it. It looks, you know what it reminds me of? Like in Warcraft 3, The Frozen Throne, where there are little adventures that you would go on. The parts of the game reminded me of that just a bajillion times more sophisticated. Yeah. Um, and I really do like the idea of XCOM style combat because I did, I found that to be an incredibly fun thing, but the free exploration is also pretty great. Well, it's not just that, but it's how they have quite intelligently merged the lore of this, this world because it is far different because of the, um, the 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 radioactive waste that's everywhere because of the the bombs that went off and what that means to the quote unquote the zone and so the more time that your characters are spending in the zone they are getting mutated because of the radioactiveness of the surroundings and that's changing their stats so that is a brilliant way to merge your skill tree into your uh, your character's, not just your character's story, but the lore of the world. Fucking brilliant. I adore that. Yeah. It's, now, I, when I went, went looking for it, I wanted to see, like, the history of the pen and paper game, because Mutant Year Zero has the same pedigree of Alpha, was it, uh, Gamma World and Alpha Complex, which are two late, uh, actually early 80s post-apocalyptic RP, pen and paper RPGs. Uh, Mutant has had a, has been bought out and purchased and reworked a half a dozen times. Mutant Year Zero is based on the most recent uh, publication, which is up on the Modifus game website. Modifus is also the publisher of uh, Coriolis, as well as the Star Trek RPG. Um, and a Conan RPG and a whole bunch of board games. It's a pretty big Swedish company. Uh, I will not spoil what I discovered because when they said it's about the meta. I stopped uh, reading at that point. I was reading the oh. thing too. And I stopped when it said, you're going to spoil it. If you keep going, I went, oh, I'm, I'm done. Cause I oh, would I actually it. love for us to do this at some point. That would be a ton of fun. I'll, I'll do it. I, I spoiled it. Cause like I wanted to see what it was. Because <laughs> I'm thinking of like, post-apocalyptic games okay don't, don't spoil it for those of us that are looking forward to playing as a mallard warrior <laughs> all revolves around mcdonald's <laughs> or is it or is it bungee and the failure of destiny 3 maybe that's what kicked off the red plague anyway no it looks like a phenomenal game and what i do really dig about it is the developers in the video were talking about how they are doing their best to build the game inspired by and based on the current edition of mutant year zero 
and just running with it. Like they're taking the setting and there's going and playing with it. And they're not, you know, trying to be overly faithful and they're not trying to, you know, tell an arch story. They're telling their story. I find it's a little bit arch with the whole, they're going to follow what the meta is. But the cool thing about this game is there are multiple versions of things that are uh, behind the scenes that you will discover, which I think is phenomenal. I think it's a great uh, way to help new players and new game masters, like get a feel for how to tell the story in somebody else's sandbox so that they can make it their own. See, um, I, when I was okay. watching these things, what got me excited was the idea of, I really hope this is going to be successful enough that they will keep going because I am thinking of this in the same kind of light as I am Shadowrun because there are obvious similarities in a lot of different ways. And I love that Shadowrun has been coming up with new games and new ideas and different things and you get to play through those. So I would like this to be able to do the same because I really dig the setting really dig the idea the characters it's crazy and fun i mean you're playing as either a a fucking warthog or a mallard you know like but it's silly enough that it's like sure why not how is that different than playing an orc or an elf or some other stupid shit sure i'll do this or a fucking torn bull in in wow so it i love the aesthetic i love the the well again the lore i i love the all the lore behind what is going on i'm very curious about the elder in town what does he know where where is this coming from and my writer's brain is going nuts thinking of how i would handle it and that's always for me a good cue of okay i really want to see where it goes oh well i can't wait till you start playing it so or when it comes out so you can start telling us what happens with it yeah. um meanwhile i'm going to spoil myself by reading the pen and paper stuff because i won't have time to play this game i may i might i actually might try to pick this one up on my uh, pc side but we'll see i can't remember when is it coming out do you recall uh, they didn't have a release. 2019 was the last yeah, I saw, I but I'm on the website. Wide. Yeah, I still thought it was a ways off. Launching on December 4th, 2018. Really, dude. Oh, yeah. It's not. I I've been watching my money for a while now, and and especially not buying games day one. This is one of those ones I might pick up right away and not wait for a sale. I'm that excited oh. for it. So the dig the deluxe edition is at $55 at a price point. However, um, at the deluxe edition, the regular edition is $35. And if you pre-order, you get a three-day head start um, and access to the beta version, which comes out a month before if you go with the deluxe edition. The deluxe edition gives you, however, uh, a digital copy of the Mutant Year Zero pen and paper RPG. That RPG digitally is about nine, 10 bucks, I think. Maybe as much as 15. So this is this is like a digital deluxe edition that nice. is actually sounds like it's worth it. Well, not just that, but it's paying homage to the source material. You gotta love that. Really do. That's really fucking do. awesome. Okay. Oh, I'm so excited for that game. Okay. Lastly, we are going to quickly talk about Generation Zero. Joe, you are up. 
So this one is a survival game. Uh, and before everybody tunes out, there's actually some interesting hooks. It doesn't really emphasize the whole survival aspect quite like others. Uh, but it's set in the 80s and it has a very Tales from the Loop vibe to it. Like looking at the game when this was shown to me, the very first thing I thought was, oh, it's the Tales from the Loop video game. Yeah. Because you come back to your small little island town to find no humans anywhere, but a whole bunch of robots running the joint. Uh, murderous robots that are hunting well, you down. Of course. <laughs> are there any other kinds, Joe? Claptrap. <laughs> exactly my point. <laughs> if you don't think he's a murderous little robot, you are not paying attention. <laughs> Fair. But it's an interesting concept because the idea is that these robots are going to learn and adapt as you progress uh, through the game world. And as you take them out, they're going to sort of learn how to deal with you. And so the game encourages, one, a fully interactive environment uh, for you to set up traps and pincer maneuvers with your friends uh, to get through encounters, as well as doing things like combining arms fire so, like, you have one person with a sniper rifle who can knock off the armor, and then the person with the submachine gun can do a quick three-shot burst to take out, like, a critical part of the, the robot, and then you can scavenge them for parts for more weapons to keep going. Dude, uh, it's that a very was interesting awesome. Concept. I love that. That was awesome. Because it, unlike, say, Vince, it's been clear over 10 years now, I'm not the guy that likes crafting in games and shit like that. But if you're telling me that to be able to upgrade my scope or my whatever, magazine size, whatever, I'm going to have to go out with a couple of friends and work together and maybe I'll be the sniper who has to perfectly time taking off the, the casing so that, Joe, you can nail it and kill it and then we go get the pieces. Okay, I'm in. Yeah, that's cool. And it does something too here, and I don't think this can be emphasized enough that a lot of other survival games just don't do, and that is an interactive environment, or at least that's what the promise is currently, where, you know, when you're setting traps, it's not necessarily you laying down traps and things like that. Like, one of the things they showcase in the gameplay trailer uh, and what people have had some gameplay time with is using things like electric transformers and using them as Dude, explosion awesome. points and things like that. I like that because one of my biggest gripes with most survival games is that you can't really interact with the environment in a meaningful way like you would in like an 80s action movie. Well, this is basically an 80s action movie where you can interact with that environment with your unique 80s hero character. Uh, and I like that. I, I, I dig that. This is definitely on my radar now. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if it's... Go ahead. Uh, I want a scene where we drag them through an arcade and somehow, <laughs> whether it's shooting up the thing so that they make a racket or so that we can escape or shooting them up so they cause some sparks or whatever, something, there's got to be some kind of interaction where it's at, uh, like this, an interactive environment. But fucking hell, I want that kind of stuff. Like as they're doing, as they're showing a few things, I'm my imagination's going nuts with things like this because, I mean, as soon as they were playing that synth music, I was like, I'm there, because fucking I grew up in that time too, so I was a teenager, so I remember vividly. So there's so many different things that they can do, and if they start putting in 
which I think we will start seeing across a lot more games now because the technology is there. Those environments that are actually interactable in, in, in a variety of different ways. Not just that it, you know, crumbles like D3 and we were like, ooh, the wall came down or ooh, the chandelier came down. No, we want more. I want freaking mm-hmm. an arcade going nuts because I broke a, I, I did something to a break or jump started it or something. And, and it, throws the robots off so that we can escape that's the level of ingenuity that i'd like to see from devs and we're overdue for it like in and the technology is definitely there it's been there for a long time we want to see more of it because it, it makes the game more immersive it makes the game more engaging it adds different layers to it it it's this is going to sound goofy, but it's one of the reasons why I think Fortnite is as successful as it is amongst all the other battle royales, because you can literally blow up anything. You can build anything so you can interact with your environment in a meaningful way. So like it's, it gives you a, a taste of something that other games don't do and giving me something like that here where maybe the robots learn how to destroy houses or how to dig down into our bunker or whatever the case is. And there are definitely underground bunkers and science facilities that they showcase here too. So there's going to be some weird shit going on. Well, the thing that that adds to is yet more tension and this kind of Mm -hmm. game, that tension is very important. So if, if you never are allowed to feel truly safe, then unlike say a left for dead, where once you got into those back rooms where you knew, okay, Oh, we can take a breather and fucking finally relax here kind of thing. If you never have that, it's a whole different game. And if they can make that work, that, yeah, that'll be a lot of fun to play. It's definitely something we're going to have to keep our eye on. That's for damn sure. All right. With that, we are going to call it a wrap. Like I said, there is going to be a feature from Vince, who's already sent it in, on the return of Oberdin. So that's going to be pretty awesome. And make sure to check out the show notes at ForTheLore.com. You can also find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, and on Twitter at ForTheLore. Individually, Joe is Loaders at J, Vince is Simonian, and Marty is Officer Gleason. And with that, we will see you guys next week. Oh, no. We will see you in a fucking couple of days. <laughs> because yes. Joe... And Amir and I are going to be doing a Spider-Man episode. And we are spoiling all the fucking shit because I 100%ed that much. Joe, did you actually 100% it? I got distracted because the new DLC came out. Oh, so you did not. All right. I 100%ed I'm missing one side mission. Okay. And, uh, And I know that Amir finished it, so I don't know how far he is into it. Uh, it's going to be cool to see what he has to say as well. I know he's been enjoying it, and I'm I'm guessing he is excited as both Black Cat and the the mile stuff that is hopefully coming out. I'm I'm sure he's as thrilled about that as we are. So I'm looking forward to that. We're actually recording that tomorrow. So if you're listening to this, literally tomorrow there's going to be another episode for you that is entirely Spider-Man, which means entirely fucking awesome. And with that. We'll talk to you soon. Five years ago, Lucas Pope told a story about living under a totalitarian regime through the eyes of a passport-checking border agent. 
The game was, by design, frequently monotonous, but players with a sharp eye for detail were rewarded with a number of interesting stories about the citizens and visitors to the small nation of Arstotska. In his latest game, Return of the Oberdin, Pope is at it once again, this time with players stepping into the shoes of another exciting profession, an insurance adjuster. Taking place in the early 19th century, the game involves the titular Oberdin, a merchant vessel, which arrives to port five years after it was thought missing at sea, with all hands dead. Since the East India Company is on the hook for all 60 insurance payouts to the families of the deceased, it's up to the player to determine the identities and fates of each body. To complete this task, you're given two tools. One, a notebook to log your findings, and two, a mystical stopwatch that will allow you to see the moment of a subject's death. This alone will not be enough to complete your task, however. A vision might tell you that a crewman was bludgeoned in the engine room, but may be missing other details, such as the weapon used and the identities of the victim and assailant. From there, you have to piece together other clues to fill in the blanks. As a hypothetical example, you may learn that John Peters was scheduled to work in the engine room from 6 to 12. You may also find out that he had a gambling debt to another passenger, and that Herschel Whittingham, a noted poker player, was seen throwing a bloody wrench overboard at approximately 10.15. Only once all these clues have been collected can you piece together the details of the event and solve the case. One down, 59 more to go. As you go on investigating each passenger, you find yourself amidst a number of interconnecting stories, all told through a striking retro monochromatic art style. Much like Papers, Please, finishing the game mechanically is only part of the package, with the true reward being the multitude of stories buried in the details. Return of the Oberdin released last week for Mac and PC, and I certainly can't wait to check it out for myself. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co-starring Joe. And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew. Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. You can find him at ManelliJamal.com as well as on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.